Hello Monument, I do hope you are well and continuing to enjoy the grace of God. I feel particularly stirred as we continue in our Comfort and Courage series in the book of Philippians because I get to preach on six verses that have meant a lot to me over the years because they deal with this glorious three-way partnership between God, us and church leaders. And I love God, I love you and I do love the topic of leadership as well. And I found that keeping this three-way partnership in a good balance, all partners in play, is the way to enjoyable and effective Christianity, followership of Jesus. Let's read together Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, let's look first at God's role. Verse 13 says, it is God who works in you. How absolutely wonderful that the Christian faith isn't God shouting down, sort yourselves out. Rather, it's God coming down and coming within us to help sort us out. The message translation in this verse speaks of the work of God as God's energy working deep within you. To what purpose? To help us live for God's good pleasure. Simply, friends, this means that Christianity, that holy living and working hard for the Lord is mission possible, not mission impossible. I spoke a few weeks ago um, about when my friend Sheshi and I were in a cold mountainous part of South Africa, we, we were helping a church for a, a few days. And in the morning, our windshield on our vehicle had, had frozen over solid with ice. And uh, Sheshi was even less experienced in cold climates than I was. And he said, uh, shall I pour hot water from the outside or, or shall I scrape it off? And I said, no, Shesh, if you pour water from the outside, it will freeze back over. And if you scrape the ice off, it's very hard work. I said, here are the keys. Just turn on the engine and leave it for a bit. And the hot air from the inside thaws the outside and gets rid of the ice. That's what we did. That has stuck with me as a superb illustration for this, that we've got God's work right within us. God's energy works within us. And if we can allow and work with, allow that heat just to permeate our vehicles, then the ice of sin will be melted off and there'll be a, a comfortable temperature in the vehicle of our lives. So how do we actually do that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how I do it. I, I think of four big themes in scripture, in our faith, as internal warmers, because that's how the Bible presents them. So the first one is heaven. Thinking about heaven, Ecclesiastes says that each of us have eternity in our hearts. 
That means eternity, there's something about eternity that's within us. And I find as I think about heaven, eternity in heaven, it helps me live in a more heaven-like way here on earth. Do you remember the great classic movie E.T., extraterrestrial? Do you remember he had a, a heart's red light? And when he, uh, when he was caring for someone, it came on. But when he was thinking of home, home, that the light would glow. And that's, I find that to be the case, that as I set my mind on things above, I feel less attached to, to earthly things. So if you think about the vehicle, uh, that's one, one uh, vent, heat vent that you can open, heaven. Another uh, heat vent you, you can open is the Word of God. Uh, listen to this wonderful scripture. Some of you may never have heard this before because you're still getting used to your Bibles and finding a way around, but it's, a, it's an absolute classic. Uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12, the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That verse says of this book that it's got an internal uh, power about it and that when it gets inside us, it, it gets busy. Obviously, we need to read it to help it get inside us, but there's a supernatural component of the Word of God that if we will just unleash it in our lives, it will get busy within us, working with an energy all of its own from God. I think of, you know, the robot hoovers these days. You don't have to just vacuum like this. You can just buy a little round one and press play and it unleashes and it tidies up and cleans. The Word of God is like that. If we can get it inside of us, it'll just move around doing work that we could never do from the outside. So that's heater number two in the car, allowing the hot air to come into the vehicle of your life. And the third heater with internal power is the gospel. And the gospel is very broad, isn't it? But at the crux of the gospel is this incredible news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in my place on the cross so that I will never die. He took all my sin on him that my sin will never be counted against me. And that is a huge and supernatural truth. It's not just a great idea. As we think on it, as we open, we meditate on that, think on that. God died for you. You're never going to die. You'll go straight through death for all eternity. As we think on that, as we preach it, read it, pray it, sing it. That heat event is opened and the hot air of the gospel energizes us and, and warms the vehicle of our lives. Allow that vent to be open. And then the, four, the fourth vent that I try and open to let this heat, this energy into uh, my life is that of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36 speaks of the Holy Spirit changing our uh, God, changing our heart of flesh for a, 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 a I'm sorry. Ezekiel 36 speaks of God changing our heart of stone, stony innards, for a heart of flesh, a beating heart. And it says that this, this Spirit of God will cause us to want to walk in the way of God's commands. To have an inner power from God actually willing me and working in me to help me want to live in a way that's pleasing to God and it's just such a gift. Christianity is not us working our way up to God. I had an experience like this in, in uh, Kathmandu. I visited the, the monkey temple in the middle of the city. It's got 365 steps up to this temple. 
It's exhausting to get up to the temple. And as I was walking up, sweating, hot, tired, I thought, I'm so glad, Jesus, that you came down. You don't call us to climb up the ladder of good works to you, but you come down and you come within us. I love you, Jesus. It's thrilling news. God at work within us. Let's talk now, our second heading, about my role, your role, our role. God's got a role, but what's our role? Well, verse 12 says, work out your own salvation. And then verse 13 says, God's at work in you. And then verse 14 is back to do all things. So we've got a bit of a sandwich here, haven't we? That the two bits of bread uh, are us. Work out your own salvation and do all things. And then in the middle, and we all know that in any sandwich, it's the bit in the middle that's the most important, isn't it? Um, we've got our role on either side and God's power enabling us to play our role. And it is meant to be like that, that God's role, the gift of salvation that he gives to us and his ongoing energy in our lives, it's not to be despised or squandered. Paul said that the grace of God to me, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul said the grace of God to me, the bit in the middle of the sandwich, was not without effect. It caused me to work hard, he said. Uh, Work harder than all of you, he said. But then at the end, he clarifies again. He says, not I, but the grace of God. He's saying that the power of God in the middle of the sandwich is like a sloppy joe. I think, oh dear, I'm not sure if that is the the right thing. But you know when you get mincemeat and you put it in between two bits of, of bread, the two bits of bread get soaked with the mints, and they're much nicer. That's what this is like. God's work in us, within us, soaks into us to help us work out and do all things. What does that look like? Well, again, I'll tell you some things that come to mind for me and how I try to be active. I try to speak to myself firstly, like the psalmist did. When he was feeling low, the psalmist didn't say, Why so downcast, O my soul? You're just going to have to stay in that state until God comes on you. No, he said, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. He spoke to himself. Another thing I do is try to rouse myself to worship and prayer and meeting with other believers to fellowship. Sometimes I'm not in the mood for that, to set aside time to pray or worship. Sometimes in the first song, I'm not in that mood to worship. And I don't just say, oh, I'm not in the mood. Don't want to be a hypocrite. If I'm not in the mood, I'm not going to do it. No, I work out. I work out. I don't work for my salvation. We do need to be very clear on that. This isn't working for our salvation. Salvation to us is a free gift. But once you have it, you work at it. So I stir myself to worship. I find clapping and raising my hands. My body can actually help my inner man worship the Lord. I work it out. And then I try to fan to flame any gifts that God's given me. And God's given you gifts. He's given each of us gifts. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, fan to flame the gift of God in you. See what he said there? The gift in you is from God. That's God's role. It's God's grace that he's given you gifts. You can't do anything about having them or not having them. That's God. But then, Timothy, you fan. Work out your role is to fan to flame the gift of God within you. Brothers and sisters, whatever your gift is, whatever your spiritual gifts are, remember we did a gifted series last year. You might like to revisit some of that. Whatever talents and responsibilities God's given you, the passions that he's given you, fan them to flame. Fan the flame of God within you. 
And remember, we do all of, all of this not to earn our salvation, but in response to our salvation, kind of to celebrate our salvation. Uh, last week, Eric preached so superbly, didn't he, from uh, the first part of Philippians 2. And he ended with that uh, clip from um, Pursuit of Happiness, the movie, and Will Smith, who, against all odds, had been given a job, a lovely, wonderful job that he didn't deserve. And as he was given the job, he gets very moved and then he walks out onto the street and the camera just follows him. And he just looks so grateful. He looks like a man who can't wait to get back into the office the next day, not because he has to, but because he gets to. And that's what this is like. We don't have to do these things to please God because we already please him well in Jesus. We get to do these things to bring more pleasure to him. We don't have to do, we get to do them. That's the feel of this, this blend of God within us and us working it out. Um, Paul mentions some spe specifics. Uh, take a look at some of them. First off, he says working out means obedience. He says that first, it means obeying. And some people mistakenly think that obedience is synonymous with legalism. It is not. Grace is not opposed to discipline or effort. It's opposed to earning. So Paul says we need to obey the Lord. Think of the three classic categories of money, sex and power. How are you doing in obedience on them? How are you doing in terms of obedience with money? Are you being honest? Because Jesus wants you to be honest. You need to obey him in that. Are you being liberal and generous and consistent in your giving? We need to obey God in that. How about sex? Who writes the playbook for you on sex? Who decides who you have sex with when? Is it you? Is it society? Is it some book you read? Or is it the Lord? We need to obey, obey God in terms of what he says about sex and sexuality. Uh, power. How, you, how do you treat other people? As Jesus wants you to. We must. We must obey and treat others with love and, uh, and hold them with appropriate respect and love. Then he says, be blameless. Uh, the word translated blameless doesn't actually mean perfect, but it means above reproach, generally above reproach. And Paul is not calling for perfection, but he is saying there should be an increasing trend of living in a way that pleases the Lord and that contrasts to the world around. Let's look at this word shine. Paul's saying, when he says shine, he's saying be different from, not the same as. And we said towards the end of last year in our Together, our membership series, that being a Christ follower today means we're the new rebels. It's not going with the flow. It's being counterculture, standing out, shining. And finally, he says, holding fast to the word of life, not picking and choosing, not being sloppy, not saying, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to let go. No, it's holding fast to orthodox faith. That's all part of working out our salvation. Then he uses uh, a beautiful phrase, fear and trembling. Have appropriate fear and trembling in us. Fear God, certainly love him and know his love for you. Don't fear him in the wrong sense, but fear God, for he is truly awesome. Fear sin. Sin does damage us. Fear that. Don't play fast and loose with sin. 
And then fear, I think more in a protectionist or celebratory sense. Fear and honour the preciousness of this, where's this phrase, that we're children of God. It's an amazing grace, is it not, that we have been made children of God and that's to be revered, not, 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 not to be squandered or disrespected, dismissed. We're children of God. Let's live in a way that's pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Okay, before we leave this part of the uh, message on our role, I want to talk about the dangers of either overplaying our role or underplaying our role. And the two dangers are legalism and license. I've seen that if we make too much of our role, we can slip into legalism. And if we make too little of our role, we can drift into license. Now, legalism, if you make too much of your role when you think you're becoming a Christian, you may actually not be really becoming a Christian. You might have picked the wrong God and the wrong gospel because the Bible says that in salvation, it's all God's role, not our role. Even, even the ability God gives us to say yes to him and respond and say, I will, I will follow you. I repent of my sin and follow you. The Bible teaches that that ability is even from God. And Paul's crystal clear in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace, not by works. It's a gift of God. So salvation is all God's role. It's not our role. So if you try and smuggle any character into becoming a Christian, well, you may not have actually become a Christian because it's all of grace. And then imagine uh, you and I do become a, a believer by grace. We receive the gospel of grace. So we're definitely born again. We're definitely believers. It is then possible to drift into legalism by, as we continue to follow Jesus, if we make too much of our role and too, much of, too little of God's role, we can slip into legalism. Uh, license, um, in the conventional sense, it means to be authorised, doesn't it? But in terms of Christianity, it means to be in excess or lack responsibility or lack control. And obviously that fits with making too little of our role, as we've been saying so far in this message. And phrases that often accompany license include, let go and let God. I'm just going to let go and let God. No, don't. God is doing his part, but don't let go. Draft off God's part, lay hold of God's part, and do your part. Uh, another phrase we sometimes use is, um, grace is opposed to discipline. You can, we can get confused in that if we get into license. God loves me, grace abounds, therefore sin can abound. Paul said to the Romans specifically, no, because of God's unlimitless grace to us, it doesn't mean that sin can abound. And then another thing we can say in license is, uh, if I obey most of this book, then that's certainly better than not obeying any of it. Now, that's the Thomas Jefferson approach to scripture where it's, I don't like this page about the miraculous, so I'm gonna take that out. I'll keep that one and I'll keep that one. That's not too controversial. That fits with how I feel, so I'll leave that in. Uh, but this one I don't like. This is about God's sexual ethic, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that out. I'm gonna sleep with who I want, when I want. But, oh, that's a beautiful part of scripture. I'm gonna leave that in. That's license. License is thinking of God as a British royal. You like to have him come out on the balcony 
on special occasions to wave. But dare he set any laws, you won't obey them. That's license, legalism and license. Now take a look at the spectrum that I've put together here. So we've been saying that the perfect blends of verse 12 and 13, our role and God's role is right here in the middle. It's the way for effective and enjoyable and sustainable Christ followership. And then if you, if you overstate your role, we've been saying you come into legalism, and if you understate your role, uh, not enough of me, this is all me and this is no me, way down there you get into license and obviously there's categories uh, as you go. Now this isn't an exact science and I don't want to press this beyond what's appropriate but I'll just share what I've noticed from my experience either in my life or other people's lives that I know. If you spend too much time in a seriously legalistic framework, too deep and too long, when you finally pull the eject handle, and you will, because usually, it's tragic if you just stay there forever, you usually pull the eject handle because you get to the place of thinking, this is wrong, and it is. Galatians 3.1, Paul said to the Galatians who had got into legalism, he said, you dear idiots, in one translation, you dear idiots, who has bewitched you? You get into dark witchery if you overstate your role in becoming a Christian and staying a Christian. You miss the gospel of grace. It's witchery. Now, when you come to your senses and pull the eject and jump out, wonderfully, lots of people come straight to the middle. They say, yeah, that's not the gospel. This is the gospel. Or maybe there's a believer they drifted and they've come back. It feels like I'm born again, again, and born again, again. You're not actually born again, again, but you've come to your senses. Oh, the gospel of grace. My role, yes, I understand that. I made too much of that. But Lord, your what role in, in saving me and keeping me saved forever. I, I celebrate that, God. And you're back in the middle. You might zig a little bit back into some legalism. You might zig into some license in your newfound freedom. You might do something and realize, oh, although that's permissible, it's not beneficial. Or although it's okay for me, it's going to stumble someone else. So, so you zig, but you... You, you stay in this zone, mostly. Hallelujah. Then I've noticed that other people, when they pull the eject here, they often don't go there, or they often don't go there. They go from one extreme to the other. It's stuff God, stuff Christianity, or sometimes it's not stuff God and Christianity, but it, it's stuff church, because they experience, whether it actually happened or not, they, they say, I felt my experience of legalism was inflicted on me by church, and I don't want any of church anymore. And understandably, but so sadly, they bomb right across to there, often staying just in the faith. But, oh man, they're really pushing the bounds of license. Then, conversely, I've noticed that people who are in a very licentious place, let's start with people who aren't believers, often they're so thrilled when they hear the gospel of grace that they come straight from a very immoral lifestyle right to the middle Hallelujah, but sadly they don't stay there long and they move into legalism quite quickly because understandably they want to stay so far from sin that they put these different protections up to try and keep them far from sin, not realizing that actually legalism pushes us back into sin. It's this beautiful blend in the middle of the gospel of grace and God's work within us coupled with our responsibility working it out. That's where health and happiness and holiness uh, is found. 
sometimes Christians who are in this zone, they pull the eject handle and wonderfully, rather than moving into legalism, taking things too far, so to speak, they come straight back, very quickly back to, like, like the younger brother in the parable of the two sons or the prodigal son, he came to his senses and came to his father and he worked on the farm, but not as a servant, as a son. He worked on the farm as a son. Perfect blend right there in the middle. Now, just one little word about these two uh, slightly more moderate categories of legalism and license. Not that I'm recommending them at all, but I want to say this. It's my observation that I think the battleground in our age, particularly with those of us who I know in monuments and, and other churches close to us, isn't the extremes so much as this, this middle ground. The battleground of our current age seems to be staying centered, not drifting into some legalism or some license. And I know some of us, you've told me your stories, that you've got remarkable stories of, of even having a period here and now being wonderfully here. Don't now drift into here. I'm speaking to myself as much as any of you. We must stay cent cent central, not drift into some legalism. And beware this because it is an attractive category because it blends Jesus' righteousness with some of our own righteousness. So it's, it's very satisfying to, to the, the human heart because it involves God. Yeah, that's truth, definitely. His righteousness is our gift. But there's a bit on the side of ours that, thank you for your gift of righteousness, but frankly, Lord, I'm not surprised you gave it to me because I am better than other people. And we get like this low-grade critical spirit towards others. But because we're so Christian, we really are. I don't want to be facetious. But because God's at work, with, we're not here, we're here. Often we disguise our self-righteous attitude towards others fairly well. But that's this zone and it's to be avoided. This zone here is just so seductive as well. I felt this in my life. I'm sure some of you have and some of you might really be struggling with this at the moment. And it's as dangerous as, as some legalism. And the attraction of some license is again that you have Jesus as your Lord and King in some areas. And that makes you feel good and... It is good. But the problem is Jesus calls for total submission to him. And so if you're hedging your bets and having one foot in the world and one foot, foot in, in Christianity, if you're following Jesus in some areas but not following him in others, uh, that should not be. And again, you'll remember from the end of last year, our Together series, we, there were three messages, Understanding America, Understanding Culture and Understanding Membership. And in the second part, Understanding Culture, it's on our website, the Together series, Understanding Culture, we looked at the ism family, uh, the cluster of isms, and just some of them were secularism, and that's the gravitational pull from culture to leave Christianity behind, or at least leave the embarrassing, hard to understand, hard to swallow bits of Christianity behind. Beware secularism in our age. Individualism, it's making too much of, of, of what we think and not enough of, of what Jesus thinks. Um, and deconstructionism was another one where we, uh, we, we build our own biblical burger. I will have that and that and that and that, but not that, that or that. We pick and choose. And friends, whether it's some license or some legalism, I know those zones are better than the extreme ones, but they're still not 
where healthy, happy, sustainable, biblical Christ followership is. Okay, let's move now to our third and final heading and talk about the role of leaders in our lives. I note Paul specifically doing three things. He loves them. He calls them beloved. So important for a leader and church leaders and any level of church leadership to love those whom they are leading. But then notice that Paul mixes truth with love. He's not scared to tell them the tough stuff. He calls them to obedience. He calls them to contrast in the world that they live in. And then of particular importance, I think, he minimizes the potential for them to become overly dependent on him. You probably are aware of this uh, spectrum. You might even feel it in your own heart sometimes. On one end, there's the potential for us to become overly dependent on leaders. And on the other end, the temptation is to be dismissive of leaders. It doesn't matter what they say or what they think or their opinion, really. And obviously, we're, we're designed to be in the middle, neither over-dependent uh, nor dismissive. So how does Paul help keep them in the middle, neither overly dependent or dismissive? Well, firstly, he stresses, as we have seen, the importance of God's role in their lives. He's at pains to say, this is not me, this is God at work in you. And he also is at pains to stress the importance of their responsibility for their own lives. He doesn't set up a dependency syndrome between them where, where he implies subtly or in a manipulative way that they always need him in the mix. No, he says, you work out your salvation. And then rather beautifully, he uses a, an Old Testament sacrifice image. Remember, in the, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, um, the people of God would offer animal and grain sacrifices and also drink sacrifices. Now that Jesus has been offered as the sacrifice once and for all for us, we don't need to offer any sacrifices except Romans 12:1 ourselves. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And Paul beautifully says that in the sacrifice image that he's borrowing from the Old Testament, they are the food offering, they are the main offering. And he is the drink offering. If you read in the Old Testament, uh, a sacrifice of a lamb was sometimes accompanied by uh, a hymn of wine, which is five liters of wine. It was a much lesser sacrifice than that of the lamb. And Paul's communicating to them that they are more important in his construct than he is. And that's a beautiful thing for leaders to bear in mind that the church is about the church more than about the leaders in the church. To say it another way, church leaders are bridesmaids. It's about the bride, the big day of the bride, the church, more than about the bridesmaids themselves. Let me mention a couple of ways that we're trying at Monument, and I know that you know these things, so I'm, I'm, I'm underlining them, not presenting them for the first time. Ways at Monument that we're trying to keep somewhere in the middle on this dependency spectrum. And the first is very simply to have a team of preachers. I do preach most of the time, but when I don't preach, it's not because PJ needs a break. I sometimes do, but that's not the primary reason. The reason is we want to hear more than just my voice. We want to make sure that we're all able to drink through various straws, drink of the word of God through various straws, not just the PJ straw. And I'm so grateful for others in our church who preach so well. The second thing we try to do is have a team approach to pastoring. And uh, captain of this team is the Lord. 
uh, when we pass the one another, we stress, lean on the Lord. God's at work in you. Look to him. We may well have practical suggestions and definitely care, but we want the big aftertaste of any pastoral encounter to be God's got you, God's in you. And we also stress your role in being pastored, not just pastor's role. As Paul has been saying, you've got a responsibility to, to work it out. So I will often use phrases with you like, I will certainly add my faith to your faith. Or I will certainly stand with you, not stand for you, but stand with you. Because God's in you and you've got a responsibility and we come alongside with our responsibility. And then also, quite obviously, we don't just look to capital P pastors, pastors and elders for pastoring. A healthy family needs siblings helping siblings and parents helping uh, children and brothers helping sisters and, and the voice of mothers, not just the voice of fathers and of grandparents. So we try to have a holistic approach to pastoring. Sometimes we need absolute specialists and we will say we, we can't help you with that nearly as well as so-and-so can and we'll point you in her or his direction, maybe a professional counsellor. None of this is to abdicate um, our responsibility for any of us, but it's the glory of working together in this area of pastoring as the body of Christ. And then the third and final thing that I think keeps us in the middle of this uh, spectrum is to have a global mindset. My friend Bob Roberts in uh, Texas, I think, came up with this phrase. It's a mixture of local and global. Our mission, remember, is to Jerusalem, local, and also to the ends of the earth. And we want to have a global mindset. And what that does is it keeps us from getting uh, in a bubble too much with the local. Even just at a, our recent Zoom 40 prayer meeting on Wednesday night, we had Daniel and Marsha from Thailand. We had Sam Poe from New Hampshire. And both of them lifted our gaze to the wider scene. And that just helps us not think that monument is the greatest thing or God forbid, and I'm sure you're not in danger of this, but thinking myself or any of the other leaders are the greatest thing. It aerates the local with a wonderful sense of global oxygen. God's doing so much through so many around the world who are so gifted in ways that we're not. And that helps keep things in perspective. So in summary there, let's neither dismiss leaders, God forbid. Let's not get over dependent on them, God forbid. Let's uh, stay in the middle. So my friends, that's it. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I'm, and I'm the preacher, but I'm feeling very moved by this passage of scripture, the privilege we have of these three roles, God's role in us, hallelujah. Our role, hallelujah. What a privilege to play a part in this and the role of leaders in our lives as well. Hallelujah, three times over, hallelujah. Much love to you and God bless you.